0: Hey friends, welcome to the show. It's called Stand to Reason, and your host is Greg Kokel. That would be me, and uh, thank you for being part of what we do here now in our 32nd year, something like that. I did the math on it last show. It took me too long, so I'm not going to try to do it again. I just recall it was 32, something like that. In any event, uh, I wanted to bring you up to date real quickly on a couple of things. uh, For one, Uh, I mentioned last show that I will be speaking at Calvary Chapel Chino Valley on July 23rd and 24th. Okay, just for the record, I'll also be at Crestview Presbyterian Church in West Chester, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati, First Baptist Church of Fairborn, Ohio, both on July 31st. And Fairborn's going to be a little north of that, maybe an hour north, more central Ohio, but uh, that coming up the next two weekends Rabbi Lashua will speak at the redemption about the redemption story of Rahab at Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear Arizona that's right by where he lives Saturday July 23rd so that's coming up here and Sunday July 24th so that would be Desert Springs Community Church and then he'll visit Mission Grove Church in Phoenix on Sunday the 31st talk about why we can trust the Bible as the Word of God. Uh, Alan will speak at the Hawthorne Gospel Church in Hawthorne, New Jersey, not California, New Jersey, on Saturday, July 30th, and Sunday, July 31st. Then he'll be at North Coast Church in Vista on August 8th. Okay, Uh, Let's see. Oh, he'll also be doing a live video Q&A on STR's Instagram on Wednesday. Oh, too late for that. Wait a minute. Oh, that's August 17th, not July. Okay, that's coming up in a month or so. All right. Great. So I think that brings me up to date. Oh, incidentally, Orange County reality, September third, 23rd and 24th, you can mark that in Orange County or within striking distance, and that usually is a 15-state range. Uh, and I don't think there are going to be any restrictions this year on registration. That means we could take about 3,000 people total that would be a record for Orange County, but we are moving there before COVID hit. In any event, the last day to receive early bird savings for our Orange County event is July 29. The focus there is going to be on deconversion and deconstruction. In there was a lot of Christians are going through uh, heavy doubts about the legitimacy of Christianity, and they are asking questions that many have not gotten the answers to, though the answers are out there, and therefore they have left. They have gone through deconstruction, and now they're deconverting, okay? And some famously, that is some very visible Christians have done that, We're we are dedicating the series of realities that we have this year to, and this season, I should see, because they go into spring of next year, uh, to uh, addressing that issue. And so the dates of reality, Orange County, September 23rd and 24th, Seattle, October 14th and 15th, Minneapolis, November 11 and 12, Dallas, February 24th and 25th, Philly, March 24th and 25th. That's tw- that would be those Dallas and Philly, of course, next year, and then Augusta, April 21st and 22nd. So information for that realityapologetics.com dot com will get you all the information. All right. Now we have uh, initiated a uh, a plan to help get more of you in play uh, on the air with your questions um, in a way that allows you to ask your question personally and directly, but um, at the same time, you don't have to wait in line. (laughs) That is, you could simply uh, go to our website, and uh, now I I don't have the information in front of me, and I apologize for that, Amy, but um, if you go, she's going to tell me right now. All right, just go to our broadcast page, str.org, and then go to the broadcast page, and then there's a button you can punch, and then you start talking, and you can ask your question and try to keep it short. Um, and uh, then we will play your question, your voice on the air, and, uh, and then I'll respond to it. Now, we don't have the uh, value of the interaction that is sometimes a lot of fun, but at least you'll be able to express yourself, offer your question, and I can respond. So we, we don't have a name for this project yet, we're just calling it Recorded Calls, which is, you know, not very much fun. We're going to find a, try to find a different name for it. The uh, software we're using is called SpeakPipe. and I thought SpeakPipe Maybe we should call it SpeakPipe. Well, we may not always use this software. But anyway, SpeakPipe doesn't even make any sense to me. Recorded calls, at least, is a- adequately descriptive. So now, our w- our RCs are recorded calls. So we have Tom, who is calling in from somewhere and uh, has a question about Roe v. Wade. So let's hear what Tom has to say.
1: Hello. Hi. I was wondering if you could address the decision that came out about Roe v. Wade last week and how the church should respond to it. Should we be celebrating this decision or should we be staying quiet to maintain the peace? Um, in our church, nothing was said during the weekend service, and some of us are just curious how to take this. Thank you.
0: Well, you're welcome, Tom, and I appreciate the call um, and the question. So let me offer a parallel. Um, Slavery was a plague in this country for two and a half centuries. In two and a half centuries in what we now call the United States of America, there are 388,000 Africans who were pressed into service as slaves. After Roe versus Wade, it took us 109 days to kill that many unborn children. The same number of children corresponding to the number of slaves in this country for two-and-a-half centuries, 109 days. When slavery was finally ended, would it be appropriate to celebrate the end of slavery? answer is yes. Would it be appropriate for Christian people to rejoice publicly? say, in their churches? Answer is yes. Why? Because slavery was a terrible evil, a great inhumanity to man, that came to an end, rejoice, and that was an offense to God, and therefore Christians should rejoice when the offense was lifted. Pretty straightforward. Why would not the same thing apply to abortion? By the way, I mentioned three hundred eighty-eight thousand slaves, African slaves, in this country in two and a half centuries. That many children were killed in a hundred and nine days. But Roe versus Wade was the law of the land for forty, almost forty-eight years. No, make that forty-two years, seventy-three. Right? Yeah, forty. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Oh, now I'm now I'm doing my math is wrong because I'm getting my age mixed up with my spiritual birthday. So I became a Christian forty in in 1973, and I'm almost so that's uh, that's 48 years. Okay, so I was right the first time. Thank you, Amy, for helping out. 49. <laughs> you guys get it? Almost half a century, 60 million plus. Babies, um, I'll just say, killed. That just came to an end. Well, the liberty to do that came to an end. Abortion is still legal uh, in many states, but the liberty, the the what's the word I'm looking for the the blanket liberty to do that in the United States of America has ended. So those numbers are going to go down. The loss of unborn human, the lives of unborn humans. I should say, if you say un, loss of unborn human life. That depersonalizes it. So is that worthy of 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 celebrating? Of, no duh. Yes, of course. Now, why wouldn't a church celebrate that if? The Sixth Commandment says, Thou shalt not murder, that is, take the life of an innocent human being without proper justification. And the lives of innocent human beings were taken without proper justification at the rate of 3,000 plus a day for 48 years, 49 years. Um, wh- why wouldn't we celebrate that? that this has come to an end or at least the liberty why wouldn't we celebrate that well th- the reason tom said is to maintain peace now he's not defending that he's just suggesting it was odd but it appeared they wanted to maintain peace what huh How? in in what sense are we maintaining peace or what peace is it worthwhile to maintain by not celebrating the reversal of Roe versus Wade? I, I don't think I understand well because people who are pro-abortion are going to be mad if we celebrate. They're already angry. The South was angry about prohibition, about uh, the uh, uh, the abolition, I should say. The South was angry; they had all kinds of economic. Uh, ties to slavery, obviously, and they suffered as a result of abolition, of slavery. So, pro, those who are pro-abortion or pro-choice, if you will, they're already angry. What what peace is going to be broken? I, I'm, I'm not sure what peace needs to be protected. Now, if Tom were with us, this is the advantage of calling in and waiting, he'd be able to tell me, but uh, I don't really know what I suspect, though, is an, Ill, an inappropriate concern about the sentiments or the attitudes of, of others who are pro-choice, who thought abortion liberty was a good thing. It's not, it's an evil thing. Why, why should we want to be sensitive to that? No, we don't go out of our way to be obnoxious, but why? Why not celebrate this? There is not there is no downside to celebration, it seems to me. No legitimate downside. Oh, well, they won't like it. Well, they don't like anything we do. Uh, I don't understand that. But anyway, Tom, there's your answer. Yes, the church should be celebrating the end of Roe versus Wade, and if a church is silent about it. That I think is a problem. Now they might say, "Well, we have people here that don't that are pro-choice in our church." All right, well then, teach them the truth. That's the job of the church. Why would you would you would you speak not speak against adultery because you have some adulterers in your church? I, I mean, I, I, that does not register with me. Uh, and I think I've made this case before. The Bible makes it clear that abortion kills a valuable human being. Really, where is that? Luke chapter one, John the Baptist, second trimester, jumps with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, while still in his mother's womb, in the presence of the first trimester um, fetus, Jesus. So, so you got you got unborn human beings that are themselves. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? by the way, Elizabeth didn't say the woman who will be in the future whenever that baby is born, then she will be the mother of the person then who will be my Lord? No, she was already the mother of the Lord it. Jesus was the Lord, and Jesus was there in her womb in the first trimester, which is why the second trimester, baby, the text says, leapt for joy. It says there that in that text that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, but the prophecy earlier in the chapter by Zacharias, John's father, was that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. The very same one we know as John the Baptist was there in the womb. Therefore, killing that child through abortion would have killed John the Baptist, though he wasn't um, called that. Rigidly designated, uh, the uh, <laughs> a philosopher might say, the very one who we know otherwise as John the Baptist. Yes, that one would have been killed. And the same would be true about Jesus had Mary had an abortion. So, it is clear from that record that abortion is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. And it was happening the rate of thousands per day, more per day, for 40 nine years, then we lost at 9-11. that's what we lost at 9-11. That would be 11,000 9 back back-to-back. Think of it that way. Why not rejoice when that latitude and that liberty is no longer available legally to women to do to their children? Why not rejoice? Why would a church be silent? Anyway, there you go, Tom, and I thank you for your <laughs> your call. Actually, I could say that. It was a call. And if you would like to do what Tom did, very simple, easy. Go to our broadcast page at str.org. Find it somehow, somewhere. It's not hard. I don't go to it, but I know it's easy to get there. Find the button. Amy's... <laughs> Find the button and uh, ask your question, just like Tom did, and uh, we'll deal with it. If it's not too long and not too complicated, we can understand what you're saying. Let's put it that way. Some qualifiers here. All right, let's go to our other callers. Oh, we need a break. Okay, do we need a break? Okay, let's go to break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk to Laura in Michigan right after this break. You can take Stand to Reason with you through our mobile
1: apps, available for free from the App Store or the Google Play Store. The Quick Reference app gives you short, easily accessible courses on our most popular topics like tactics, homosexuality in the Bible, morality, the story of reality, and many more. The Stand to Reason app has all our latest content available at your fingertips. You can listen to our podcasts, check the blog, and access timely and practical resources. They're free, so download the apps today on the App Store or the Google Play Store and start carrying Stand to Reason with you everywhere you go. If you enjoy our apps, you can help other people find them by rating them on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Hey friends, would you like to be
0: encouraged throughout your week with timely relevant content meant to bolster your knowledge, wisdom, and character? Or maybe you have a desire to be connected with other like-minded Christians from around the world. If so, then you need to follow Stand to Reason on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Not only will you be able to interact with other Stand to Reason followers, but you'll also stay up to date and informed on our latest resources and events. In our current culture, it's important to have something of value to break up your social media feed. So just visit str.org and find the links to all of our social media platforms at the bottom of the homepage. Okay, here we are, uh, back again, and as I promised, Laura, let me find you, there you go, Laura in, somewhere in Michigan, where are you in Michigan, Laura? Hi, Mr. Kokel. Hi there. Um,
2: I am near Flint. Everybody oh, okay. Knows Flint,
0: right? Yeah, I went to MSU.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, yep. a long time ago, 1970 to 72, I was there, so, uh, anyway, I like Michigan.
2: It's I kind do of too. dreary
0: during the winter, but... Uh, yeah, you
2: have-
0: <laughs> so anyway, okay. Laura, so what's on your mind?
2: So um poor Amy had to uh deal with my ramblings. Um it, it's kinda hard to put the question together, but mm-hmm. I've been having discussions um for quite some time now with a few people and they believe that um that people are born homosexual, that they don't have any choice in the matter. Um and and I argue against that. I believe that people choose those things. Um, but they, uh, they used kind of my situation as an example that, um, I struggle and I have struggled with, um, premarital sex. Um, I'm celibate now, but it's something that I've struggled with for, you know, years and years, unfortunately.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: and I don't, I don't really hide it now. I kind of use it as a tool to tell people, Hey, like you can, you can fight these things. Like you don't have to give in. Um, I kind of use it as a testimony a little bit.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, good for you. And Oh, thank you. I, I hated about myself, <laughs> but I definitely, um, you know, I, I was tired of like not being honest with people on why, why I believe what I believe. So, um, but they kind of used that against me a little bit, um, and kind of, Made me stumble uh, meaning like in my my thought process they were like well how do you explain your urges you know I heterosexual but my urges to uh, to have sex before I'm married and struggling with it how was I not born that way um and I I, I can't I don't know how to answer that or
0: well it's, argue actually it's it? not I don't in a certain sense it's n- it's it's a it's a clever question and a fair question I guess I can see why people would ask it but in a certain mm-hmm. sense it's not that difficult to respond to. Well let me ask you a question though do you happen to have the t- the tactics book? I do. 10th anniversary edition. Of course. Okay. I've have had have the latest. Well there is a whole section in there and it may I'm trying to remember if it's in footnotes or if it's in the main body and uh there's a whole section about this question about whether people are born gay all right Mm -hmm. and uh and and the the answer is there's no evidence scientifically that that's the case there is no gay gene and there is no there is no evidence that that homosexuality not only are you not born with it but that it's that it's immutable and in fact the common perspective nowadays is that sex is very fluid and I mean from the perspective from the left is that sex Mm -hmm. is fluid you could go from this to that the other thing whatever it's very different from the way they used to argue I'm born that way and it's immutable so therefore it can't be wrong now there are all kinds of problems with that approach even if you were born that way and even if it would be immutable that wouldn't necessarily mean it's not wrong Because if that were the case, one could argue, and some do, regarding different uh, things that most people would consider to be aberrant. Hey, why couldn't somebody say, I was just born angry. I was born violent. And and that Mm -hmm. does seem to be the case about some people. Is that an adequate justification for their behaviors? There's a fallacy that's going on called the is-ought fallacy, but you don't have to get all philosophical. It just doesn't seem to be sound, just because that's the way, allegedly, one was born, that the behavior that comes natural for them is morally okay. In fact, arguably, and this is the point that you were making earlier, there are all kinds of things that could be natural for us that we have to fight against, because though natural, they're not right. And you're so talking about premarital. Pardon me? Um, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't
2: mean to interrupt.
0: No, that's right. I have well, more I to just, say about um, that.
2: No, go on, please. I, I, I so definitely... so th-
0: this would be the one problem, though. I mean, there's a couple of problems, so I'm offering a couple of different thoughts. Even mm-hmm. if they were right— I mean, I'll speak to your specific question in a minute. It's natural for you. Why isn't it natural for them? But let's just say it was natural for them. That doesn't mean that the behaviors don't entail or don't, there aren't moral restrictions involved with the exercise of the desire. Maybe that's the better way to put it. So, Let's say, okay, your heterosexual desire is natural for you, and for the sake of argument, their same-sex desire is natural for them. Nevertheless, that doesn't follow. Then that whatever you desire to do, you can do, because it's right. natural. And you've made the point yourself. And this is a, this may be a step point out. I know that it is natural for me to be sexually d- attracted to uh, men. But I'm not married, and therefore, it is not right. I have to say no to that desire. Okay? Does that make sense to you? You know, to your friend you're talking. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, then. The, so, so if it turns out that your desire is natural, it still m- might mean that it's appropriate for you to say no to a natural desire. So, that's part of the difficulty here. Okay? Mm-hmm. Secondly, it's... It seems pretty obvious that a woman would be born with a desire for the opposite sex sexually because it is the opposite sex that is a natural, native, appropriate physical partner for her sexually. And you don't need the Bible to know that. That's just common sense, just open-your-eyes kind of thing, okay? But that clearly is not... let me put it this way, it is is not clearly the case for same-sex attraction. That seems unusual. We're not going to put a moral thing on it at this particular point, but let's just say that seems unusual. So for me to say, and I'm speaking Autobiographically here, as you have said, it is natural for me, given the body that I was born with, to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex, which is the complement for my body sexually. That makes sense. It Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense that someone would be sexually attracted to someone else they are not designed to have sex with. And you could use the design thing. You could cash this out in, you know, in, in theological or non-theological terms. Either God designed you there that way, or Mother Nature designed you that way. Regardless, this is the you. you however, you were made, you were made to fit the opposite sex, not the same sex. So, same sex mm-hmm. attraction doesn't make sense in light of the way you were made. To claim then that their same sex desire is natural for them, that they were born with it, doesn't make sense given the body they were born with. Okay. Right. And if they were born with the same sex desire, this would have to suggest that, 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 that it's built into their genes somehow. But this has never been discovered. There has never been a gay gene discovered, and this is what you'll find in the footnote or wherever in tactics. I think it's t- chapter
2: seventeen, right? Inside out. Is uh,
0: that correct? I don't know. I don't know. It, it seems to me that would fit more in just the facts, ma'am. But uh, you'll have to just check because I, yeah. I don't know for sure. But I have in it any in event, my hands. I give the research, and they do research on twins and there's something mm-hmm. like an 18% correlation on the most famous twin research that identical twins where one is gay the other one is gay well that that's not the right answer 18% if it was genetic it would be closer to 100% not 18 right what 18 shows is there's no correlation and there wasn't any consideration given for environmental factors either there now you made a comment earlier um, well, the way you put it is in your conversation, well, I believe this, and they say, well i we believe this, I believe uh, that you're not born with it. they say i we believe we are born with it, whatever it doesn't matter what you believe. it matters what the evidence shows is true, and right. so if it's just like the battle of beliefs, you're not going to get anywhere. but if you say what is the what is the evidence phys- physiologically that this is something you're born with. The, the, the point is, the all that evidence points in a different direction. It's not something you're born with, and it's obviously true, obviously true across the board now. It is not immutable. There are lots of people who are heterosexual for much of their lives, and then later on, they enter into uh, same-sex relations. And others who were who were who had same sex sex attraction through adolescence or young adulthood that changed, and and there's an amazing study that is footnoted there is documented there in uh, tactics that uh, that where thousands and thousands were were part of this study and and in a, in a certain sense changed, if you will, their their sexual attraction without any help from anyone no one intervened no one interfered no one did anything it just changed so this particular claim i was born that i believe i was born that way has no foundation in in anything we know about about physio, phys, physiology or about the experience of same sex attraction you're not born that way now you had mentioned use the word choice. Um, I don't think same-sex attraction is a choice. I don't think you're born that way, and I don't think it's a choice. It's like a lot of other desires that we have. They are things that we develop over time through a number of different circumstances. All right? So, um, I I mean, when, when... I don't want to get too explicit here, but there are lots of desires that we have that change over time and are influenced. There are things, foods that people eat, all right, that um, characteristically kids don't like, but adults develop a taste for. That's what we say. It's a developed taste, right? It's an acquired taste. And okay, um, the, the old joke, you know, what's the difference between broccoli and boogers? Kids will eat broccoli, right? Okay. Well, they, you know, they, <laughs> they, they. My kids always ate broccoli. You know, from the beginning, and um, not the other. Fortunately, as far as I know. But the point, is, is that that for most people, their desires, tastes, preferences do change over time based on certain influences. You know, and so um, this is true about sexual appetites as well. There are different things that will affect it. Many uh, people with same males with same sex attraction um, can chart the develop the the genesis of that attraction to when they were physically abused when they were younger, and something happened inside. So there was a developmental feature there. I'm not saying it's true in every single case, but the point I'm making is this is developmental. It is not physiological. All right, and so though a. Uh, there, there there, may be a choice in the way we, we respond to our sexual appetites, as you discussed earlier, with you, in your own case, or even someone with same-sex attraction. That's a choice. But to mm-hmm. have the appetite is not a choice. Right. The appetites can come from different places. Heterosexual appetites are part of the natural structure of being human. Otherwise, human beings would not reproduce very effectively. Right. Same-sex attractions uh, don't fall in that category. So it, it it doesn't make sense to say it's natural, you were born with it, and it turns out there is no evidence that's the case, but quite the opposite, that it's something fluid based on other circumstances. So, um, I mean, I think there's a kind of a, a, a broad way of responding to this. There's a number of different factors involved, but um, maybe that will kind of get you out of the lurch here when people raise the issue. I think the way I'd put it to them is, um, do, is it is it obvious to you? Maybe I'd ask this to somebody who raised the issue. Is it, it, it let me just start here. Um, I'm just going to call my friend Fred for the purpose of this discussion. I don't know why, Fred, but I just pulled it out the yeah, sort of I always use so, Frank for
2: some reason. Okay, <laughs> okay, Frank.
0: Okay, that was my dad's name. Okay, Frank, is it <laughs> obvious to you that I as a male would naturally be attracted to a female? Is that obvious to you? If they said no, I, said, I would ask them, how would you expect me to reproduce? Is reproduction right. natural for human beings? Then how would I'd be expected to reproduce if I wasn't naturally attracted to them. Okay, I get your point. I'm hoping they're going to give that, okay? Does 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 it seem natural in the same sense that a a, a man would be tr- sexually attracted to another man? Well, I I think if a person is fair-minded, they would say N- no, I guess I can't make that same point that it is natural. But I do believe I was born this way so it would be natural in that sense okay great what would be your evidence your reasons to think you were born that way have you looked at any of the studies on this or something like that and, uh, and then i'd go down that uh, go down that route with them uh to try to help them to see this so i I'll, i will give you a i'll give you a little tip about this cuz i've been on down this road a number of times on the air over the years with different callers um, mm-hmm. My general conviction about it is that people who are in a—I'm uh, 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 trying to think of the nicest way to put this, but let's just—I'll just say it. People who are in a sinful lifestyle—and this is not just sexually, but a whole bunch of things—people who are, who are participating in a sinful lifestyle do it because they want to. And what they do is they are trying to sanitize their behavior with different types of arguments that make it look like what they're doing is okay. But the arguments don't work, as I've demonstrated. Oh, well, it's okay for me to do this because it's natural for me. You do what's natural for you. I do what's natural for me. Of course, you pointed out, you don't do what's natural for you. You're not married, or you ought not do it, and so you resist. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it ain't going to work that way. Well, once that's dealt with, then they move on to something else. Uh, other kind of faux... Well, I'm not hurting anybody. Faux justifications. Well, the real issue is not that they really believe they're doing something just fine. Deep down inside, they just want to do what they want to do. And they're looking for a way to feel better about that or to sanitize the behavior. And... um and, and and I think that's what's genuinely going on. Um
2: I just I was just really surprised and we'll call my friend Frank. Um that Frank says they're a Christian and they believe that, you know, uh that people are born homosexual and they they say, you know, Frank says, Oh, their their minds are wired that way, they don't have, you know, the capability of fighting it but we have I mean one of your speakers and I'm sorry I forget his name
0: Alan Schliemann. um
2: no uh the uh Tim he, Barnett he used to be, no he used to be uh he used to live as a gay man um
0: oh one of our speakers are Christopher Ewan
2: yes Christopher um he chooses not to live that way yes you know he I mean and when I say choose and and I and I know that you explained it I I, I believe I didn't say it as eloquently but when I say choose, I have those desires, and yes, I, I'm i not necessarily choosing those desires to have them, but I'm choosing not to act upon them.
3: Exactly. And I
2: think that is the choice that we all can make, and Christopher is making that on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And you and I have spoken before about this very thing, saying, you know, it'll be a fight for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And
0: by the way, yeah, that's true is, of heterosexuals true. as well. You know, right. sex is powerful no matter how it's characterized—in healthy sexual desires, unhealthy sexual desires—and I think there's a difference between same-sex attraction and and, uh, and heterosexual attraction. But still, they are powerful and can be abused. Uh, I think mm-hmm. uh, the uh, any expression of of same-sex attraction is an abuse of what God has in mind, but at least in the heterosexual arena, there is an, uh, there is an alternative. Now, that may be bad news for people who are, are same-sex attracted, and, and I don't deny that. And I can be sympathetic to that, but I'll tell you, as a, as a single person, I went 25 years being sexually celibate after I became a Christian. So, um, you know, it, it's doable. And if it turned out I never got married, I would have to be sexually celibate the rest of my life. But would it be a struggle? Sure. If not in right. my physical conduct, it certainly would be in my mental life. Uh, and that's just a reality of struggling with the flesh and with sin. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway. Hey, it's good talking to you, uh, Laura. i got to run on to Thank some you, other Mr. callers. Kogel. Okay, it's great chatting, all right? We'll talk to you. Thank again. you. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye now. All right, let's go to Waco, Texas, and uh, Paul. Hey, Paul, Waco is where um, Baylor is. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, I'm yep. going to be there in September.
1: Oh, excellent. Well, maybe I'll be able to uh, see you when you come here.
0: Yeah, that's... Can you it, hear me? Yes, I can. I can hear you fine. Loud Okay. Loud and clear, or loudly and clearly, to be more grammatically precise. But I'm going to be at the um, Oso Logos group. It's the Christian group okay. on campus, and I'll be speaking for them. So you might just kind of, you know, keep your ear to the ground, so to speak, sometime in September. Sure. I don't have the date in front of me, but uh, September something. Sure,
1: I'll keep I'll, I'll keep my ears open. If I could just say a couple of things before I ask my question. You were talking about the uh, John the Baptist. It's interesting that the, uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned on the feast day of the Nativity of John the Baptist.
0: Oh, no kidding. June 24th. Huh. Uh-huh.
1: And of course, the very last verse in the Old Testament you as you're aware oh is, yeah and I will send my prophet Elijah and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their sons and the hearts of the sons to their fathers right. unless I strike the land with the curse that's just I just kind of thought that those were two interesting, that is interesting, interesting.
0: That sure
1: happened and uh, of course he was the first one to recognize our Lord from the womb like you said right and um, but the other thing I was going to say to Tom's point uh, his question was uh, this Sunday I'm actually teaching my Sunday school class and I don't actually teach it they asked me to teach. But I'm taking, through, taking them through an abbreviated, uh, making abortion unthinkable. Hmm. Um, mixing that, starting off with the ambassador basic curriculum. I'm just doing a, an ambassador's, a, uh, a Christian ambassador's response to the abortion issue. Basically.
0: Wow, great! Oh, well, I'm glad to hear and that. And so, uh,
1: and if I could give a shameless plug for a, a way I approached it, if if if, and if people are wanting to do this in their church, pull up the Kathy Ireland video from Mike Huckabee. It's about four and a half minutes. He gives her explanation for the pro-life perspective. Mike Huckabee says it's the best explanation he's ever heard from the pulpit or anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And then if you go to your broadcast from April 19th of 2009 and look at minute 53 and a half, that's where you can see that you talked about this. Um, Because I remember I was listening to the broadcast that year at that time.
0: Yeah, And
1: um, you talked about how y'all had trained her. So somebody is looking for that. This is how I plugged it for my Sunday school class. I showed them the Kathy Ireland video. I said, "Hey, watch this video. I want to take you all through the curriculum, and this is the people who trained her how to do this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm going to show them that that little snippet
0: from yeah, the Yeah, she ago, but... she is remarkable. I'll tell you what is really stunning about that. I mean, she she'd been on Politically Incorrect and made the case there with Bill Maher and his crowd when that was a show, and and uh, but what was amazing about to me was that Huckabee. Didn't underst- he This was news to Huckabee. The characterization right. that she gave him, and here is a yeah. Christian pro-lifer who was running for president, and was not as capable of articulating the pro-life view um, as clearly right. and crisply as she was able to do. And that's that exactly. was kind of sad. I was proud of Kathy, but I was sad uh, sure. for Huckabee. And he's like right. many, many other Christians. Christian pro-lifers. Well, as well. And he
1: was he was a seminary trained uh, individual. I don't think he graduated from Southwestern, but he uh, at one time Southwestern was the flagship Baptist seminary in the United States. I think Southern is now. But yeah. Um, but my question has to do with uh, the Trinity, uh, and it has a little bit of um, personal connection. I have a, a, a family member, brother-in-law, who is he probably would describe himself as a Socinian Unitarian. Uh, and he's he's actually published in this area. Anthony Buzzard wrote the foreword to his book, mm. and uh, he's very good friends with Dale Tuggy. He's got his master's, and he's working on the PhDs. He's quite intelligent in church history, and, um, and he's got a book. It's called um, The God of Jesus uh, in Light of Christian Dogma, but his name's Keegan Chandler. He's a really great guy, nice mm-hmm. guy, good family guy. Um, you know, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. But very, a very convinced Unitarian, Socinian, style Unitarian. Mm. But mm-hmm. my question, because I've had a number of conversations with him, and um, as you can imagine, hearing y'all's material for so many years, I'm, I tend to have a little bit of an apologetics bent. And mm-hmm. so I, sometimes we'll get into discussions with him, but one of the questions I had, uh, has to do with the Trinity. You've probably heard Dr. Craig, William Lane Craig, talk about how, or he describes the Trinity in, in these words. He says something along the lines of, God's uh, cognitively so well endowed that His being can support three centers of self-consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray, William, William Lane Craigish way of putting it.
0: Right, right. My
1: question is, what's the limiting factor to the three? We obviously know that Christian seems Christ, uh, the Bible seems to suggest that there's at least three. But what would be the metaphysical limiting factor to only say that there's three possibilities?
0: I don't—this I I couldn't answer because I don't traffic with the metaphysical depth on this issue as Bill Craig does, and he might have a very good answer. The issue, uh-huh. though, isn't what it is not modal. It's not what the possibilities are. the 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 issue is actuality. Is what mm-hmm. what do we know from the revelation of God Himself about Himself? And what right. we learn is that He is a unity. You know, here, O Israel, God is one. Right. That's foundational. Right. But then, what we also learn is the Father is the Father, the Spirit is the Spirit, and the Son is the Son. And they, it turns out that each of them has characteristics of deity. Uh, they are each called to God, and they each um, exercise divine prerogatives. For the sake, for example, they receive worship. Take Jesus for example. And it's clear from the text that Jesus received worship. Um, sure. That's the only way to read it. Uh, Jesus, clearly in John chapter 1, verse 3, is the uncreated creator, uh, and this cannot be avoided. So you either have, from that passage, uh, two gods at least, or you've got one god with at least two persons. Um, mm-hmm. I'm limited to three because that's what the revelation limits me to, I don't sure. know why, there, if there's any metaphysical reason why God can't be four persons or five or six or ten. I don't know. Right. I, right. I, I'm, three's enough, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> sure. But uh, the revelation that we have of God himself entails this notion, which I think Bill Craig puts well. And that is, when right. God... With three centers of consciousness, and right. that is odd, but it's not contradictory, properly understood. Sure. And I think that's a good sure. way of uh, of expressing it. So I, I don't have any reason to add more. I think the scripture abundantly supports the notion of the Trinity, and and that's that's what we receive from God.
1: One of the what do you think about this line of reasoning? And I'll, I'll end with this because I know there's a lot of callers probably, but. Um, when I've talked to him and had our conversations you know as a Unitarian you know he would say um, or he would have to say that in the same way that we are a being who supports one center of self-consciousness uh, so does God and what I would want to say to that is I would want to say well but doesn't God say in the Old Testament to whom will you compare me to I am not a man that I should be like him and so I want to what I would want what I want tend to want to say to my brother lies you know if you if you say that God must have one a the same kind of cognitive and and, um, self-consciousness abilities as you, Uh, one center of self-consciousness per being, you might say, well, that would be to compare yourself to God. But God says, nobody, you can't compare anybody to me. Yeah,
0: I'm not sure uh, if—I would approach it differently for the sake of time I'm jumping in here, and that is that passage from Numbers 19 or wherever is actually what God is saying— and this is with Balaam, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should repent. Has he spoken, and will he not do it, Will you know, etc.? So, if I'm citing the same passage, he is saying that he is not like human beings in this particular fashion, okay? Of course. So, I, I don't—my response to—I think you said your brother-in-law—would be to simply say, uh, we, we have reason from God's own revelation of himself to see him as different than human beings. We are one self in one body. We are a unified center of consciousness with a physical body. God doesn't have a physical body. He does have a unified self, but within that unified self, apparently, are three centers of consciousness. We are not like God. God is unique. There is no reason Mm. to think that just because we are the way we are, that God is the way we are in that thing. And we're we're actually... you know, I mean, the standard biblical perspective is that we're a duality. We are physical and spiritual, or mental, if you will. Um, we have we are a physical substance and a, and a non-physical substance. So that's what dualism is, mind-body dualism. Okay, if he's going to press this point, then he'd have to say God has a body. Mm-hmm. Well, so God is not like really... us in that way. I don't, I don't even know why he'd be compelled to use human beings as the Kind of measure of what God sure. is like, so I,
1: I don't, I don't think he would use that, but I, I, that's something that I would draw upon. But I, um, I would be really interested to hear more, you know, Christian apologists, sort of of your ilk and William Lane Craig's ilk, to really address the biblical Unitarians. Not, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of old hat at this point. You know, yeah. the biblical Unitarians, the Christadelphians, they're more nuanced. I'd really love to hear more. Or, uh,
0: Bill Craig would be the. Bill Craig would be. I'm going to have to leave with this one, but Bill Craig would be the sure. guy to check out. And I guarantee you, he's written on it somewhere and uh, weighed in on his website. Go to reasonablefaith.com. Got to run. Okay, yeah. Thanks, Paul. Greg. Thanks for the call. Okay, appreciate that. Uh, Jenny, we made it, Idaho. Hooray! Hello, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was just introduced to your ministry today, and now I'm on the air with you.
0: <laughs> in the same day?
3: Yeah, in the same day. No kidding. I, I, knew, I knew nothing about you or your ministry or anything, and I just called in asking for a resource, and then she invited me to present my question on the air. Oh, wonderful. So I wonderful. guess I'm just jumping into wow. the deep end of the
0: pool. Uh, okay, well, uh, that' glad to have you. Water's fine.
3: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so
0: we're a little tight in time, though. We have about six minutes. Sorry about that. But what's what's on your mind?
3: So the question is, would you be able to provide some guidance? Um, I don't know if you believe that the spiritual gifts, such as prophecy, tongues, healing, etc., continue today. Um, but if you do, I was wondering if you could provide some guidance about how a person would know whether... Um, his or her spiritual experiences, supernatural experiences, are actually from God versus hmm. potentially from the enemy, sure. or potentially from the
0: flesh, sure. or something else. Sure. Well, I, I, well, the supernatural experiences aren't going to come from the flesh because it's not capable of producing genuine supernatural experiences. Okay. Um, the uh, my own theolo- theological conviction is that I see no good reason. To disqualify any of the gifts that seem to be in operation in the first century church and expressed there in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12 and in Romans chapter 12, I see no good reason to say that some of them have ceased. I've heard the arguments and I'm just not persuaded. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean I'm committed to the idea that they're in vigorous operation now. And um, it just seems that they're not for the most part. Now I've seen some pretty amazing things, but to and but I've also seen some really exceptional examples of abuses of the claim that this is what's going on in the individual Christian's life. So I tend to be skeptical to be honest with you on this. Now if are, are you um suggesting here that you are manifesting supernatural capabilities and you're not sure if they're from God or not?
3: Well, um, yes, I guess I would. Um, I my background is I started as a Calvinist. Um, I became a believer um, while well, um, attending a university in California, uh-huh. and um, I had a very dramatic um, supernatural conversion experience uh-huh. um, that was really off the chart. Um, but then I very quickly settled into Calvinist theology, and my mentors at the time really um, discouraged. Um, teaching, you know, uh, exploration of the spiritual gifts, and that's pretty much where I settled. And then my own experience is that that was my theology, but then my experience has been completely different. So okay. I personally have had a lot of supernatural experience.
0: Okay, like let, I'll just, let me just toss this out, that there's nothing, mm-hmm. th- th- as far as I understand it, that is tied directly to Calvinistic or Reformed theology that disqualifies the concept of supernatural spiritual gifts for today characteristically those who are reformed also are cessationists but i don't think that two theologies are necessarily connected i should ask amy about that but but so if, uh, I, there there are people who believe in the gifts but who are also reformed in their in their theology so they're not however i think it is fair to ask I, and i don't There can be uh, supernatural activity, and, and we don't have time to get into all the details of your personal life, but there can be lots of magnificent supernatural things that God does in your life that is unrelated to your possession of spiritual gifts that are supernatural. God could answer prayer supernatural that you pray for people. In other words, you are praying for something to happen, and the thing happens, and it's clearly a supernatural response by God. Um, There are things like that that happened more in my early life as a Christian that I certainly don't question now, that were powerful things that God did, that were really magnificent. Um, But uh, that isn't the same thing as having a supernatural spiritual gift like prophecy or like uh tongues with interpretation or like miracles or something like that. So th- it may be the case that those unique gifts are not in operation in individuals lives today but it also may be the case at the same time that God still is working supernaturally in response to prayer and other circumstances as he wills. The difference So what is- I would
3: say is um my My experiences would be in the prophetic, in tongues. I I spoke a language that I didn't know, and I um, actually shared the gospel with someone in a foreign country. Um, And then I've also had healings, multiple healings. Mm -hmm. So, because those really take it into the realm, the realm in which many pastors say, you know, we're not to go there. That's what's really had me, you know, reaching out for guidance because sure. I don't want—I don't want just a book that tells me this is why you shouldn't have them or this right, is why you right. should have them, but more like how do we, how do we have discernment?
0: And well, that's the, really the, important, I think. Okay. Well, the key—the key here, uh, since I am not convinced that you that these things categorically are not legitimate. Okay, I've not been convinced of that. I've already said that. Still it is an area of significant abuse in the body of Christ okay these kinds of areas so i mean i don't think you have to decide whether you have a gift of healing or not if god is responding to your prayers you may have a gift of faith you know that that god responds to your faith in a way that he wouldn't respond to mine and that and then people get healed. I'd like to be on your prayer list, you know, something like that. But um, so I guess what I want to say is, in summary, 20 seconds here, is that I, I want, uh, I encourage you to be productive for good things for God's glory in the body of Christ. If people are sick, pray for them. That's basic. If they get healed, praise the Lord. Okay. I don't know what to do about your tongues and interpretation. And your unique experience in a foreign country sharing the gospel in another language you didn't know? I mean, that's—when that's, cr- that's when I say crazy, I mean, that's remarkable. I, but I, I, I can't weigh in on the theological element, though I can't disqualify it theologically either at this point. So, uh, seek to honor God with the works that you can do, whatever they happen to be, and uh, and let him do what he wants to do. I think, I mean, that would be the advice I'd give at this point. I hope that's helpful. Jenny, for your first time with Stand to Reason and your first call. Greg Kochel here for Stand to Reason. Give them heaven, friends. Bye-bye now.